Can you hear me now? All right. I'd hate to get up here and preach a whole sermon and you not hear it. Of course, maybe you'd rather have it that way. I don't know. I preached one time in a pastor in Youngstown, Ohio, a lot of years ago. Started we, Lois and I started the church. And there was a man that came there and said, uh, I've come to hear you preach today. I said, well, you're sure welcome. Have a seat, you know. And he said, I've been to churches all over this town trying to get saved. But he said, none of these preachers, I can't hear any of these preachers. I don't know how to get saved. can't hear them when they preach. And he said, somebody told me, he said, if you've got any ears at all, you'll hear Brother Clayton. You better go over there and listen to him preach. So he heard me and got saved. So that was good. Amen. But you have to hear. If you go to church, man, you want to hear, right? And years ago, they used to not have any amplification. I used to preach a lot of my sermons in places with no amplification. But today, people are used to amplified voices and sounds, and so it's kind of important. But it's good to be here tonight. Thank the Lord for it. I thank God for all of His manifold blessings upon us, and I hope that you'll be praying for us as uh, the New Year starts and Christmas comes and New Year starts. My wife and I will be going from here to uh, near uh, near uh, uh, Toronto, Canada. We'll be there next Sunday and uh, be going up there. Uh, actually, we fly from here to Columbus, then we drive to Canada. We'll be up in Canada for a week, and then we come back to Ohio, and then I get ready to go to India. So I hope that you'll pray for us, especially the Indian trip. I really wouldn't go, but uh, it's a uh, it's a trip that uh, is involved in in teaching pastors, and I think that they expect to have as many as a thousand pastors there. So I'll be preaching and teaching to them for a couple weeks, and I hope that you'll pray that God will bless us and give me uh, strength to be able to do this. I hate the airplane ride; I despise it. But that's something you have to put up with if you're going to go to India. And it's a long, long trip. I have to fly from, uh, from uh, where do I fly from? Buffalo, New York, to, uh, to uh, Chicago, Chicago to Amsterdam, and Amsterdam to Hyderabad, India. And so pray that, uh, pray that I get a comfortable ride, I can sleep, and, and uh, maybe uh, God's special blessing to be upon us there and then I come back for about three days and then my grandson and I are going to go to to uh, the Philippines and so all of that put together before uh, the middle of January or really the first of February and then we go down to Florida we suffer down there in Florida for uh, all that warm wear and nice sunshiny days it's terrible down in Florida you can't go outside with your overcoat on it's too hot and the birds singing wake you up in the morning, you know, and the sound of the surf, the waves. I mean, it's terrible down there. We suffer a lot in that place, you know. The smell of the flowers, you know, flowers blooming and all that. We suffer a lot. But pray for us that we can endure that for a month. And then we head out to the West Coast. We'll be out to the West Coast and, and in Salt Lake City, Utah, and then Colorado, then to Oklahoma for graduation. So we've got all that to do before graduation. So we hope that you'll be praying for us, that God will bless us. Either one of you graduate this year? No, okay. Well, I hope that you can graduate with an MRS degree. Amen? And uh, 
They go down there to study pre-wed to get their MRS degree. Right? Amen? I always said if you want to get rich, have you a uh, jewelry store that sells diamond rings near a Bible college. We call it Heartland Bridal College. And, uh, but uh, that happens a lot, but that's good that young people are choosing mates that have the same interest in the Lord. And I hope both these girls get some... Uh, uh, they're beautiful girls, so they ought to be able to get them a, a preacher husband while they're down there. Amen? Pray for them that God would give them a good husband where they can serve the Lord. We ought to pray for that, you know. I know that you pray for these girls. And I don't want to embarrass them, but it's just a matter of fact that uh, <clears throat> they're young and beautiful and they need husbands. And so let's pray that God would give them good husbands. Right, amen? Uh, so they'd do better than uh, Sharon and, and, uh, and uh, Mrs. Montoro did. Amen? Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, well, it's good to be here tonight. Amen? They're doing pretty good, though, don't you think? All these new babies around here. I like new babies. I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing. And I encourage it. Amen? Somebody said to me, said, Brother Clayton, how many grandkids do you want? I said, all I can get. That's how many. So we've had 12, and that's about over now. But our great-grandkids are going to come along. And I hope that we have more than 12 of them. And uh, my wife and I live long enough to see them. That would be fun, wouldn't it? I, I just, uh, you know, it's just not right without babies around the house. Amen? So that's a good suggestion to some of you people here tonight. Amen? Some of you couples. You need some more babies. Amen? In the back row? You need some more. You need some more babies around the house. Come on, Amen. All right, the brother's not smiling, but uh, that is good. That's good. That good admonition. Uh, admonition. Okay, that's a difficult English word, but it's a good one. All right, I want you to turn with me, please, to the Book of Genesis tonight. We're going to make a little study about who owns the Holy Land, as we call it. Now, it has been called Palestine. It was called that by a Roman emperor that did not want to say Israel. But it has always been known as Israel. And all the Palestinians and all the Arabs, they don't want to say Israel, so they say Palestine. And the land that, uh, <laughs> that Israel now controls, they call it an occupied territory because they believe it belongs to them. Who does the land really belong to? Well... In Genesis chapter 16, we'll start there, and we'll probably go several other portions of Scripture in Genesis chapter 16. It tells us a story. I mean, it's quite an interesting story, what happens here, to Abram. Now, at the first, his name is called Abram. Later on, God changes to Abraham. And at the first, his wife is called Sarai. And later on, then she is called Sarah. Now this is what it says, In Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. We might call her Hagar the Horrible. Do you know that one? You don't know. Do you read the funnies in the paper? Okay, well, you should laugh when I say that if you know that, okay? Hagar. You know Hagar the Horrible in the newspaper? You know that about him? I remember one time Hagar came home and his wife looked at him and she said, Hagar, I'm embarrassed to death about you. He said, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, she said, well, look at that big fat stomach of yours. She said, I'm embarrassed. You're so big and fat. He said, look, you look terrible. 
He looked down at his stomach and said, You know, I don't think my stomach looks all that bad. He said, I like my stomach. He said, My stomach goes with me wherever I go. It holds my sword up and my pants so they don't fall down. Right? I mean, uh, he said, My stomach tells me when I'm hungry. He patted his belly and said, Come on, belly, I'm going to go get you something to eat. Hagar the Horrible. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Come on. Laugh at a guy's jokes. Uh, and I think about these song leaders up here. They're saying smile all the time, and they never smile. But when I tell a joke, I always laugh at it so I can get everybody else to laugh. Amen? All right, but anyhow, here's Hagar, an Egyptian woman. And verse 2, And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. Boy, bad, bad advice. Amen? Bad choice, bad decision. I mean, two wives in one house, that would never work, would it? Amen? Two women in one house. I used to raise chickens, and, and you would have chicken nests for the old hens to lay their, leg, uh, their eggs in the, in the nest. But uh, one nest belonged to one old hen. Now, if another hen would fly up there to lay her eggs, there'd be trouble in the chicken house. Trouble in the hen house. I mean, they'd be squawking and fluffing feathers and pecking kind of one another and scratching around there. And I mean, the old rooster would come in and he'd kind of scratch around and look around, but he was out of place. It's none of his business. And on that business is the woman's business. Amen? And they'd just seem to say to him, get out of here. We're going to handle this thing ourselves. But two women in one house never works. It's like two old hens in one nest never work. Don't work. But uh, here we find that... Uh, Sarai said, Abraham, I'm going to get you another wife. And I want her to bear children that I can have them as my own. That's crazy. That never works either because mama has her baby and mama wants her baby and she don't want to give her baby to some other woman, especially to some woman that's never had one. Amen? And that's what, she, that's what, the, deal, that's what the deal is here. It doesn't work. Uh, I remember when I was in Korea years ago, uh, there was a group of people at that time, I don't think it's probably true now, but they were called no-names. They, they were born illegitimately, and they had no family name, and most of them were cast out in the street, and somebody would pick them up, and they'd just raise them to be slaves in their house, and they had, they had no identity, and they had no protection from the law. I mean, uh, even if you kill one of them, you wouldn't be charged, uh, because they just did not exist legally, did not exist. And I can remember one time preaching in a little church outside of uh, Pusan years ago. And in that church, there was a little no-name, a little girl. She was about, I guess, 14, 15 years old. And, and uh, this family had purchased her from another family with the idea of doing this very thing. The old woman, the old Korean woman, had never had a child of her own. And they thought that they could bring this child in and she'd have a baby and the old woman would claim it. And it would be hers. Well, a little, ba little, little girl got expecting with a child, and the man was giving a lot of attention to her because he'd never had a child before, and he was hoping for a boy, son. And uh, so the old woman got jealous and made the young one have an abortion. 
And she was on about the third or fourth abortion when I got there. They had changed their mind and tried again and have another abortion and so on and forth. The little girl was about out of her mind, I'll tell you for sure. And on that Sunday morning I preached, she got saved because I preached on a new name written down in glory. And she said, wouldn't that be wonderful if when I get to heaven I'd have a name? Wouldn't that be something? But that's what happens here. They're going to kind of swamp around here in order to have a child. In Sarai, verse 3, Abram's wife took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram uh, had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Right away, there's despite in that household. Why? Because this girl's going to have a child by the husband of the house. And there's a lot of despite. I mean, right away, she's despised in her mistress' eyes. It just happens that way, you know. It doesn't get along. I mean, you know, if uh, this idea of, uh, of a man uh, wife choosing him another wife would never work. I mean, if he did, she'd sure be ugly, wouldn't she? She'd be the ugliest thing in the community, right? If, if a man's wife chose her, her husband another wife, I'm sure she'd look terrible. And, and uh, I'm sure she would be a, a contrary old, uh, old gal that uh, her husband wouldn't like very much. At least he, if she was going to choose her, she'd, he, she'd want to choose somebody that her husband would like less than her. Well, anyhow, this is what's happened. Well, they, uh, she has a child. She gives birth to her baby. And chapter 17, God, uh, I mean, uh, chapter uh, 16, no, I want to go on to, to chapter 17, yeah, chapter 17, verse 7, is where God makes a covenant with Abraham. He calls him Abraham now, he's changed his name, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and between thy seed after uh, thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Well, at this time, it would be have to be the son of Hagar. She bare the son. She called his name Ishmael. And it would have to be Ishmael. That would be the receiver of the, uh, the uh, uh, you might say, the will or, or the, uh, the uh, uh, passing down of the covenant uh, with God would have to have been uh, given to Ishmael. Okay, and that's probably what Abraham thought. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land. Now you see that? Look in your Bible there and see that word, the land. Now circle that if you've got a pencil, because that, that is the main problem between the Arabs and the Jews then and today. It's always been the land. Now when I went to Baghdad, and I started to cross that land over there, traveling, I mean... It, it looked terrible. I wouldn't give you 50 cents an acre for all of it if I had the money to buy it. It's this terrible desert land. There was some of that land where the whole land, I mean, as far as you could see both ways from the road, I mean, a, a hundred miles, if you would look that far, was covered with great big black granite rocks that big. And they looked like they'd just been placed beside one another. I mean, for miles. You couldn't walk in it. You can walk with those, around those rocks. It would tear up your feet. In the summertime, I mean, in the, in the heat of the day when the sun was on it, they'd be so hot they would burn you. I mean, it would be a terrible thing. 
it was worthless. To me, it's worthless land. But uh, it's the land that's always been the problem over there. Who owns the land? All right? Here he says, And I will give unto thee, in verse 8, And to thy seed after thee, the land, wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now this is what God promises Abraham. All right? Well, along comes a surprise to all of them. In chapter 21, in verse... uh, Well, starting with verse number 1. And the Lord visited Sarah. It was Sarai at the beginning, you remember? Now it's Sarah. And the Lord visited Sarah as He had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as He had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son uh, that was born unto him whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. All right, first you have the son of Hagar, Ishmael. Now you have the son of Sarah herself, and his name is called Isaac. Well, right out of that comes two kinds of people. You have the Jews and the Arabs. And, of course, uh, there isn't good blood between them. Look in verse 8. And the child grew, talking about Isaac, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which is Ishmael, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Now the older son of Abraham, who is the son of this, this bondwoman, this uh, slave woman, Hagar, is mocking the newborn babe of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Sarah was very old, and Abraham was very old, but they have this baby. All right, verse 10. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, that's Sarah, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And here Sarah says, I want you to get rid of this Hagar and cast her out and run her off, son and all. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. Now, Ishmael had been the son of Abraham for quite a while. You can imagine how he felt by running this woman off and his own son off out of his house. Well, normally you wouldn't do that, would you? I mean, I don't know if uh, Abraham had uh, intestinal fortitude enough to buck the will of Sarah, but uh, I I think if it had been me, I would say... You go jump in a lake. I'm not going to run that kid off. He's mine. But what happens? Well, and God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman in all that Sarah has said unto thee. Hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. It's going to be Isaac that God blesses him, and he's going to be the recipient of Abraham's will and the promise of God. Well, you know, I'm sure it was very difficult for Abraham to do this. But God said for him to do it. Now you can imagine a a situation where there is right away a division in a family and really a discussion over who is going to really own the land. Well now, how would you feel, let's just suppose now, that you own some land yourself? 
and you had somebody come on that land and trespass on your land, how would you feel? I mean, I've got a little property down West Virginia, not very big, but every time I go on that property, I always look around, make sure that nobody's cutting any trees and nobody's moving any stakes and nobody's been trespassing on my property. I don't like trespassers, do you? I mean, if you, if you were sitting in your house and you were looking out the window and all of a sudden a head would go by in your yard, you'd probably get out and go out there and see who that was was trespassing on your land. Well, who owns the land? Well, that's not much of a land down there, but I own it, and since it's mine, it's mine. And I pay taxes on it, and I don't want anybody messing around on my property. I mean, that's a natural, normal feeling, is it not? I mean, everybody would feel that way, right? But now you stop and think a few minutes about this whole Abraham story. Who really owns the land? Isaac and Ishmael are both sons, and the generations uh, of Abraham. Well, now, let me give you a case that I know of personally that actually happened. We were over in Jordan, and there was a family, born-again Christian family. Uh, uh, they were uh, Palestinians, and they invited us to their house for supper. We went out to their house, uh, house and sat down, and they told me their story. The wife here, this Palestinian lady, was a, 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 was a descendant of a whole line of Palestinians that had lived in Jerusalem. They were living in a house where her father lived, her grandfather lived, her great-grandfather, and as far back as they could find, <coughs> her family lived in that house. Well, they went to Sunday school one Sunday, and they came home, and when they got home, they found that uh, there was a Jewish man in that house uh, with a machine gun. And he had his family all in the front room of their house, and the Jewish man said to them, You've got 15 minutes. You get all your stuff together and get out of here. Don't ever come back. If you do, we'll shoot you. Well, they had to rummage around the house and get their stuff that they had stored in there and some things that they had hidden, pictures and, and home movies and things of their family and some articles that uh, had been passed down. And they had to stuff all that in their little car and drive away because of the machine gun. All right, they went down the road, and he had a good job, so he was able to buy another house. And they moved in there, and they set up housekeeping, got all new furniture and everything. And one day, after Sunday school, they came home, and there was a Jewish man in there with a pistol. And he put it to her, his head and said, Don't you ever come back here. If you do, I'll kill you. So they went out and got in their car, and he said to his wife, We're going to go to Amman, Jordan. We're going to get out of Jerusalem and go to Amman, Jordan, where we can live in peace and away from this stupid war. So they got in their car, and they moved to Amman, Jordan. It's a much safer place than probably any other place for a Christian to live in all of, all of what we call Arabia. And we had supper with them. Well, now, who owned her house? Who really owned that house? I'll tell you right now, I could, I could feel... The, you know, the hurt that they had uh, for having lost their home and lost their house and been kicked out by that Jewish family. Who owns the house? Who owns the land? Well, the Bible says that God is going to give it to the generations of Abraham and to Abraham's seed. 
that follows him. But this Abraham, he had a whole bunch of kids. For you see, after all of this, Sarai dies. And in chapter 25, Abraham marries another wife. In chapter 25, in verse number 1, Then again Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now Keturah comes on the scene. He had Sarai, and then he had a, this maid, Hagar. Now he's got Keturah. And the uh, Bible says here she had children. And down verse 2, 3, and 4, it talks about them. And in verse 5, it says, And Abraham gave all the, that he had unto Isaac. His will said, all of it goes to Isaac. Now, you know how these wills are. I mean, like the old couple, the old farmer couple, that uh, when they died, they didn't have a will, you know. And, and uh, the kids all got together and said, Well, Daddy said I could have this. And one of them said, Mama said I could have this. And, and this and that. And then the in-laws got in a fight. And they sued one another over the farm. And there's a great big split in the family. And every member of that family never spoke to one another ever again, as long as they lived. That happens all the time. Now, I have written my will. Do you have a will, a last will? Everybody, especially people with children, ought to have a will. I have my will, and I can quote it to you. It's very short. You want to hear it? Being of sound mind, I spent it all. I'll tell you one thing. If you've got something you're going to give somebody, you better give it to them before you die. Because after you die, it belongs to everybody else. I mean, you cannot, you cannot determine where your stuff's going to go after you die. Even if you have a will, it can be contested. And there's crooked lawyers around that make all kind of money in contesting all kind of wills. So before Abraham dies, he gives everything he's got to Isaac. Well, now look, and let's go on. Verse 6. But under the sons of the concubines... Now, Abraham must have been a real swinger. You know that? He has Sarah for a wife. He has Hagar for a wife. He has Keturah for a wife. Now he's got a whole bunch of concubines. They probably should have kept his body and studied it for science. Amen? This Abraham's a real swinger, that guy is. He's a real dude. He's got a bunch of concubines, which Abraham had. Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward. Maybe that's where the kings of the east, the wise men came out of the east. Maybe this was some of the generation of these concubines. Eastward, under, that, under the east country. So anyhow, Abraham sends, sends all these sons eastward and gets them out of the hair of Isaac. And everything goes to Isaac. Well, you have to see where you like it or not or where you think it's honest or not or, or uh, kind or generous or uh, honest or equal. You have to say it was Abraham's to give. God told him to do it. And so Abraham gave it to Isaac. So Isaac becomes the owner of all the land from the Mediterranean Sea the whole way to the the uh, Euphrates River in Iraq, the whole way from Lebanon down to 
Egypt, all of that land, God promised to the generations of Abraham that would follow him. Now, I mean, that's plain in the Bible. It's as clear as it can be here. Now, they're fighting over the land. They'll always fight over the land. They've always fought over the land. I mean, it's been occupied by all kinds of different, uh, different organizations and different countries. I mean, at one time, it was in the hands of the Hittites. Another time, the Amorites, the Babylonians, the Medan Persians, the Syrians, the Romans, the Egyptians, the Turks, the Crusaders, the Turks again, and then England. And then it was partitioned and given to both the Palestinians, uh, really to the, to the Jordanians, and to the present Israel today. Now, there's a big fight on over there who owns the land now. The Palestinians say they own it, but they've never owned it. I mean, whenever they had the war and, the, and Israel took away the land, they took it away from Jordan, not the Palestinians. They've never owned the land. In fact, the Palestinians are squatters from all over the Arab world. And in fact, this uh, Arafat, you know, that's what I call him. Oh, Yasser Arafat. You remember him? He was an Egyptian. And he claimed to be a Palestinian. It's been a mess over there all along. And it's been wrangling around who owns the land. Well, now, if you were the judge and you were going to make the decision... Who would you say actually owns the land? Well, I'm going to show you who really owns it. If you would, turn with me to uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to look at some things in Galatians, maybe some other books here, but... Corinthians, I'll have to find it here. We've got all kind of stuff in my Bible. Book of Galatians. Well, we can look at chapter 3. Uh, we would say that it belongs to Abraham's seed. Let me show you who Abraham's seed really is. Even as Abraham believed God and was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, Abraham was a believer in God. And he was accepted in God by his faith in God and the faith and the promise of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Know ye therefore, I'm in chapter 3, I'm sorry. Chapter 3, verse 6, now verse 7. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. All right? Look at um, chapter 3 and verse 26. For ye are all the children of, uh, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 29 of chapter 3. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Really, who owns the land are those that are heirs of Abraham, and we Christians are heirs by faith in Jesus Christ. We're adopted into his family, and we share the possession of that land with all the other born-again people that have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Who owns the land? We do. It's our land. It doesn't belong to the Babylonians. It doesn't belong... By the way, it doesn't belong to the United Nations. Surprise, surprise. 
It doesn't, it doesn't belong to the United Arabs. Surprise, surprise. Amen. It doesn't belong to the United States, that's for sure, right? We bought it a zillion times. We paid for it a zillion times. But I imagine if we would have bought all of that land over there per acre, it would be thousands of dollars an acre we would pay for it if we had taken the money we sent over there and bought the land in the first place. But we don't own it. Who really owns the land? It belongs to the children of Abraham, and we are the children of Abraham through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Bible says? Let me look back in Revelation chapter 20, I believe it is. Revelation chapter 20. Yeah, in verse 4. In the last part of that verse, it says, And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now see what's going to happen is this. The next thing that's going to happen is that Jesus Christ is going to come back right down here to this earth. And when He comes back to the earth, He's going to gather up all the born-again, saved people and take them up in heaven. We commonly call that the second coming of Christ. It really isn't, really shouldn't be called that. <laughs> Some people call it the rapture of the church. I call it the next coming of the Lord. And when He comes back, He's not going to touch the earth. He's going to come in the clouds. He's going to come over over Jerusalem, over the Mount of Olives, because that's where He ascended. And the Bible promised uh, the uh, church that watched Him go away, this same Jesus will come in like manner as you've seen Him go into heaven. Jesus is going to come back just like He left. He's going to come back in a cloud. He's going to come back over the Mount of Olives. And when He comes back, all of us Christians are going to be gathered up with Him in the clouds and we're going to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Boy, what a promise that is. That's what we look forward to more than anything else in this life as Christians, is when the Lord comes and rescues us out of this place. That's the hope that's in our heart. That's the anticipation of our souls. We're going to go to a place where we're going to get a brand new body. I'm going to take a nice thin one. Thank you very much. We're going, to, we're, going to give, we're going to go to a place where there's no sickness, no sorrow, no death. No need for the cemeteries because there's no death. No need for the policemen because there is no crime. There's going to be no need for doctors because nobody's sick. Oh, it's going to be a glorious time that we're going to be with the Lord. We're going to go up into heaven with Him, and we're going to be up in heaven for seven years. And He's going to be passing out the rewards for all that we've earned here on earth. If you've lived for the Lord, you're going to have rewards up there. If you haven't lived for the Lord, you're not going to have any rewards. Salvation is absolutely free, but the rewards in heaven is something you earn right here, or you're not going to have any. That's the way it is. All right, but the Lord is going to come and take us to heaven for seven years. After the seven years is over, the Lord's going to come back down to this earth and we're going to come with Him, and He's going to set up His kingdom in Zion's Hill, the topmost part of Jerusalem, and He's going to rule, and He's going to reign there for a thousand years. Well, that's going to be great. And the reward that we get from heaven is going to be 
it's going to be represented on our heads by our crown. I want to show it to you. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 17. The Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them in fountains of water, and he shall wipe away. That is what I want. It's a chapter I thought I was wrong when I said that, but I do want to find it. Or he'll give out the crowns. Oh, well, I've missed it. I don't have it written down here. Oh, yeah, it's 3.12. Chapter 3 and verse 12. Nope, that isn't it either. What is it? All right, well, it's Revelation, the crown of life. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you can help me find it. It's right there in the first... Yeah, there it is. Okay, it's chapter 2 and verse 10. Chapter 2, Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2 and verse 10, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall, be, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The Lord is going to give us crowns for our service unto Him. And we're going to come back with Him, and we're going to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. Now I want to show you one more thing, and then I'm going to close. In the book of Zechariah, book of Zechariah, chapter 14. Now Zechariah is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. What you do is you go to Matthew, and you turn left. And you go two blocks, and there's Zechariah, and the, the uh, address... It's chapter 14, and the verse is verse 10. This is what the Lord's going to do when He comes to rule and to reign, and we're with Him. And all the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate under the place of the first gate under the corner gate and from the tower of Haniel under the king's winepress. What's going to happen is when the Lord comes back to this earth, there's going to be a giant earthquake. And all the land around Jerusalem is going to rise up as a plain. It's now a great big uh, mountaintop. But God's going to smooth it all out. And we are going to inhabit it. Can you imagine now, can you imagine Jesus occupying the center part of the city of Jerusalem, which is Zion's hill? He's going to rule and reign from there. His throne, His kingdom is going to be set up there. And all around that is going to be a big plain. And we Christians are going to be there. Can you imagine that as a center stage? My wife and I went out to hear the... uh, Three Irish tenors sang the other night. Quite an, quite, a, quite an enjoyable evening. They sang mostly good gospel songs. We really enjoyed it. And we were in this great big, out on the island, we was in this great big theater, great big, I think, guess it would seat two, three, four thousand, I don't know how big it was. And this whole thing happened on a stage, a revolving stage right in the middle. We all sat around there and I mean, there wasn't a bad seat in the house. 
you can see those men just as plain as they can be and went around. And I was thinking, boy, that's exactly what we're going to see in Jerusalem when the Lord rules and reigns there. He's going to set up it so that we are going to be able to be in that occupying that great area there and Jesus on His throne. Can you imagine the music that's going to come out of that? Can you imagine the choirs? Can you imagine the Lord Himself entertaining us for a thousand years where we're going to rule and reign with Him and we're going to have crowns and the crowns are going to represent how much we're going to be able to have in ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Boy, that ought to help you to get busy for the Lord. Like the old song, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? Well, you ought to think that over. Are you going to have any rewards up there to enjoy for a thousand years around God's throne with Him? I'll tell you one thing, if you're going to have some, you better get busy. You better think about things more than just your job and your money you're making and just the things that you'll be able to enjoy in this life. You better think about those things which are going to last a thousand years and then for eternity. My, I've just skipped the surface tonight. But let me tell you something. Who owns the land? All of us that are born again. Whether they're Jews or Palestinians. A lot of Palestinian born-again Christians. A lot of them. Or whether they're Arabs or if they're Africans, or if they're Indians, Asians, whether Europeans, whoever is born again, we own the land. Wow. That's all because of grace and the goodness of God. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior tonight? If you don't know Him personally, then you're going to have a part of it because it's only those that have been saved by the grace of God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I don't want you to...